first, the letter would come in the mailbox. And then as time drew a little closer, the phone call would come. And both the letter and the phone call brought the same exciting news. The letter told us what was going to happen. The phone call confirmed it and gave us travel arrangements. And Aunt Mary was coming on the train from Little Rock to Marshall for a visit. Aunt Mary was my grandmother Perkins' older sister. She was the one I've told you about that when we would ever go, when we would go to see her in Little Rock or she would come to Marshall, she would always look at me and she'd say, Nephew, I believe you're a little fleshier than you were the last time I saw you. I told her one time, I said, Aunt Mary, why don't you just go ahead and tell me I'm fat? I mean, you know, I'm fleshier. But she was such a sweet little lady. That was her polite and gentle way of telling me I was fat. But oh my goodness, when she would call the preparations that would go to get ready for her visit. In the first place, grandmother had to wash the linens on the bed in the spare bedroom. If it was spring or summertime, more often than not, somebody had to take the mattress out into the backyard to let it get a little sun before Aunt Mary came to visit. Somebody had to make arrangements at the train depot to go pick her up. That was usually me and Dad that went to the train depot and, and picked Aunt Mary up. And we had to clear our calendar. So we could all have family time so we could make sure to be together while Aunt Mary was there. To become closer as a family. She always stayed at Grandmother's house. But her visits brought great excitement and joy to the entire family. At least one night during her visit, her visit would last a week, maybe ten days, and at least one night during that visit, grandmother would have all the relatives over for supper, the ones that weren't in jail. And we'd get to see the relatives that we only saw about once a year when Aunt Mary came. The point is, the news came that she was coming. And it was always a time of joy and happiness. It was the same experience when other relatives were coming for a visit. I can remember when my great-grandmother and my great-granddaddy would be coming up from Baytown. And they'd usually stay at our house. And mother would always have to make sure everything was in readiness. Because great-grandmother was quite persnickety about things. And then you've never seen anything quite like the Bryant clan showing up somewhere. I can remember as a boy, the Bryant clan would show up at Grandmother and Granddaddy Bryant's house. And I have never seen anybody, anybody, that could cram as many people into one sedan as the Bryants could. And they would open the doors and they would start piling out. And I've seen Granddaddy run out to greet them and say, Don't open the trunk. There's too many relatives already. Don't open the trunk. I know there's some in there too. The question is, all of us have had moments like that in our lives and even have them today. Maybe it's our children or grandchildren that are coming. But some family is coming and, and they're coming to visit and they're going to come to our house. And it brings excitement and joy to us. Is there that same excitement 
when God comes? Is there that same joy that happens when God comes into our lives? I know that God is with us. God's here with us right now, this morning. He's with us all the time. We can't escape the presence of God. But you see, it should make a difference for us. It should make a difference in our lives when God comes. Because you see, when God comes, the storms are turned to calm. Let's be honest. There are storms that come blowing into all of our lives. There was an occasion one time when the disciples were trying to cross the Sea of Galilee. The story is recorded in Matthew chapter 8 and in Mark chapter 4. And one of those storms that was so common on the Sea of Galilee arose. The frantic winds came booming down from the hills of Lebanon. And those winds started churning the waters of that normally blue and calm lake into a frenzy of foam. And the disciples and Jesus were in a little boat on the sea and it was tossed up and down and the waves were crashing over the sides and the disciples were afraid and Jesus was sound asleep. It seemed like they were going to die. And in their desperate struggle, they ran to wake Jesus up. The storm didn't wake Him. The thunder didn't wake Him. The tossing to and fro of the ship didn't wake Jesus. But the frightened cry of those disciples did. And they faithlessly said to Jesus, Master, carest thou not that we perish? And Jesus stretched forth His hand toward that stormy sea of Galilee. And Jesus said, Peace. Be still. And there was a great calm. It makes a difference. It makes a difference when Jesus comes. He turns the stormy sea into placid peace. Here's the thing. What Jesus does for the sea, He can do for you. And He can do for me. Jesus can take our stormy life and He can turn our stormy life into a great calm. He can rebuke the raging tempest and He can give us a heavenly rest. He can lift up the banner when the enemy would come and Jesus can give us an abundant peace. You remember the resurrection day? The disciples came together that night. And Jesus came. He came through the closed doors of that room they were assembled in. And He came when He was needed the most. And when He came that night, He came with a message of peace. He turned their tossing tempest of fear and doubt and despair into the hearts of His followers. And He turned their despair into a great calm. And when Jesus came through the doors that night, their doubts were gone. Their fears subsided. And their despair was turned into hope. They were inwardly at rest. And why? Because Jesus had come. 
when Jesus comes, bondage is turned into deliverance. When you turn to the twelfth chapter of the book of the Acts of the Apostles, you find that Peter is in prison there. He's in the death chamber. He's on death row. Herod has put John to death with the edge of the sword. And it pleased the people so much that Herod says, Hey, I found a winner here. And so he's planning to do the same with Peter. Peter is in the prison house. He's in the death chamber. He's chained to two soldiers. And he's behind several securely locked gates of iron. He's going to be beheaded soon. But the church wasn't asleep. The church was praying for him. I don't know exactly what they were praying. I don't know exactly what their request was. But they were praying. Maybe they were praying for Peter's faith not to fail him because he, you know, another time earlier, Peter had cursed and sworn and denied that he ever knew Jesus. So maybe they were praying that Peter's faith would hold out. But whatever they were praying for, God came to the prison house that night. He walked into the prison house in the form of an angel. And told Peter to get up. And Peter stood up. And the chains fell off of him. The angel led Peter from the death cell through the gate until he was a free man. Once he was outside the prison, Peter went to Mary's house because it was at Mary's house they were having the prayer meeting that night. And he knocked on the door. His knock on the door that night proved that when God comes, bondage is turned into deliverance. In that incident, where Peter's released from the prison house, God was absolutely indispensable in that story. That young church of despised Christians, they had no influence with Herod. They had no influential members with money that could pick up the phone and call Herod and tell him to release Jesus. They couldn't buy Peter's release. He's next in line to be beheaded. But God came. And when God came, bondage was turned into deliverance. We could go through the Bible this morning and be here to well after lunch and close to supper time. Talking about all the times in this book where God comes and changes bondage into deliverance. You remember in the 16th chapter of the book of Acts, Paul and Silas are in jail in Philippi. They've been placed there because they've been preaching the gospel. If you remember, they had gone down to the riverside and there was a woman, a seller of purple from Thyatira by the name of Lydia who had been there and they had preached the gospel to her and she and all of her household were baptized. And then they'd gone into town where there was this little slave girl that was 
making a lot of money for her masters with her fortune telling. And she was following them around. These men are servants of the Most High God. These men are servants of the Most High God. And she kept following them around and shouting that so incessantly. She was on Paul's last nerve and jumping up and down on it. And so Paul cast the demons from her. And she became a follower of Christ. Well, when he cast the demons out of her, and she lost her ability as fortune telling, her slave masters lost their source of income. And so they said, they accused Paul and Silas of inciting a riot and stirring up the people and had them beaten and thrown into prison. And that's where they were. And at midnight they had the great prison revival. And they sang and they prayed and they were praising God. And a great earthquake shook the prison. Their bonds, their fetters fell off from them. Because God came. And when God came in the form of that earthquake and the chains fell off, Paul and Silas walked out of the prison house. And they preached Jesus to that Philippian jailer that night. And he and all of his household were baptized and converted to Jesus Christ. Or what about the man of the tombs? He was bound. And yet his fetters were not of leather or chains. People tried to bind him with leather and chains and he would break them. This man of the tombs was bound by the demons of hell. But Jesus came. And when Jesus came, his fetters and chains fell off that were in the form of the demons of hell. Write this down. It's on the final exam. When God comes into our lives, God will change our bondage into glorious deliverance. Because not only will He change our bondage into deliverance, He'll change defeat into victory. We face a lot of battles in this life, don't we? We cannot fight our battles alone. We need God to help us because our strength is not enough. And without God, we're going to suffer defeat. Our arm is too short. Our sword is too dull. Our energy is too weak. And our enemy is too strong. We find sometimes in this life that the moral and spiritual battles we have to fight are often too much for us. We can't fight them without the help of God. But when God comes... Defeat is turned into victory. You remember Jesus came down from the mountain of transfiguration. And when He came down from the mountain that day, He found a great throng of people that had assembled there around the disciples. The disciples had been trying to heal a boy, an afflicted boy that was in that crowd that day. And they'd been trying and trying and they had failed and they had failed miserably. But when Jesus came down from the mountain of transfiguration, He heard that healing had not come. The people were wanting to know why healing had not come. The boy's father said, Lord, I believe. Help thou my unbelief. When Jesus came, 
He took that young boy by the hand and He lifted him up and He walked. He was healed. He was well. Jesus had come. The defeat of the disciples was turned into victory when God came. When we allow Jesus Christ to come into our lives, it changes things. When Jesus becomes Lord and Master of our lives, it gives our life meaning. It gives our life direction. Jesus comes into our lives, He takes away our bitter tears. And He brings sure and certain victory to our despairing hearts. Because Jesus changes doubt into assurance. On that first day of the week, Jesus came forth from the tomb. And that night, the eleven apostles gathered together. But when the eleven gathered that night, Thomas wasn't there, so there were only ten of them. He didn't assemble that night. Likely for a very modern and very 21st century reason. Maybe he just didn't have enough religion to assemble with the saints of God. Maybe he had an excuse. But he missed the service. And the very service he missed was an especially good one because Jesus was there. And to be sure, that was just the thing Thomas needed more than anything else in this world. But he wasn't there. Maybe he was too tired. Maybe he was too busy. Maybe the meeting room was too hot or maybe the meeting room was too cold. Maybe he had company that came in. I'm reasonably sure that Thomas didn't miss the service that night because he was listening to an especially good service online. I'm sure that wasn't the reason. But when he heard that he had missed that night, and he heard what he had missed, he didn't believe it. They said, Jesus was there. He said, unless I can put my finger in the nail prints in his hand and... and Put my hand in the hole in his side. I won't believe it. But he went the next Sunday. And Jesus came again. And it was good for Thomas that he did. At that service, Thomas got very close to Jesus. He got so close that all of his doubts evaporated. And in the place of his doubts came a glorious assurance. When Jesus comes, He takes away our doubts. And He brings a precious assurance. We need God. And we need God today for this very purpose. There are too many in our world today with doubts. There are many even in the church today with doubts. Folks who aren't really established in their faith. I've known folks that go to church that don't believe in the virgin birth. I've known folks that go to church that dabble in evolution. I've seen religious groups today that 
want to accept blatant sin without any repentance. Jesus comes. Our doubt is changed to assurance. But here's the big question. Has Jesus come in your life? Has He really come into your life? Is He really the Lord and Master of your life? Because if He's not, then for you God has not come. And so if He's never come into your life and you've never made Him Lord and Master of your life, I'd beg you to do that before you leave this building this morning. And then maybe once upon a time, Jesus came into your life. But over the years, you've shut Him out. You haven't listened to Him. Let Him back in. Let brothers and sisters pray with you and for you. I don't know what's going on in your world. I don't know what is going on in your life today. But maybe there's something that we need to help you with. Something we need to help you with so that Jesus can come into your life. If there are needs in your life that we can help you with, come and give us the opportunity to, to do that as we stand together and while we sing this morning.